Uh, As an aircraft commander, you're entitled to survival gear, which can uh-huh. fire on. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's a list, he there, said. There is a list. Is, is, is there a list? There is. Oh, Shazam. <laughs> and this, none of this is on it. It's I'm grown telling. by 50% since we've been talking. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, this is going far too well. At some point, I will have to interrupt when I've finished my second beer. So, uh, Well, right. that's something to look forward to. <laughs> where Where do we start? It's a... Se- we there start with uh, we start with three stuff. wacky stories this week. At least a little bit wacky. Uh, let's see now. We talked about what, a couple weeks ago. We talked about or last week, whenever it was. Uh, we talked about the car, the the van, the Chinese van that ran into the Chinese airliner. Um, oh yeah. And uh, and uh, David, I think it was you who commented that uh, you're beginning to wonder what it is about airliners and ground vehicles. We've got a uh, uh, let's see now. It's from a Fort Worth n- newspaper article. I better op- actually open this and look at it, huh? Let's see. Uh, it's coming up. It's coming up. Uh, uh, AA plane. Alcoholics Anonymous plane. No, I'm sure that means American Airlines plane. Uh, hits. The headline says AA plane hits DFW fire truck. I'm sure there's a joke in there someplace. Um, well, it's a Dallas. It's a Dallas outlet. Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is? Okay. Anyways, uh, in this case, so if, uh, aircraft. Uh, what kind of aircraft? A. Uh, let's see now. I'm not seeing it jump out of me here. Anyway, some sort of airliner. Um, and some sort of fire truck uh, made contact out on the ramp. Uh, apparently, there was a disabled passenger on board the aircraft who was being tended to by uh, doctors, uh, you know, onboard doctors and flight crew, I'm sure. Uh, and they were taxiing in, and somehow they were. I don't know why a fire truck was out there to greet a guy who was having a possible they, they, heart they attack. They had the emergency medical equipment on board. Is that what it was? Okay, so the fire truck and the airplane are both out on the ramp. In this case, it sounds like the airplane ran into the fire truck. Uh, well, there's a picture here, and the the fire, the, the ambulance in this case, actually, is clearly behind the trailing edge of the wing. Um, yes, but that's a... It, but this is but a ladder not, truck. See, that's what this was. I'm the the wing yeah. has passed between, so it's one of these extension ladders, one of these automated hydraulic ladders that lift that that are normally when they're stored they're down kind of parallel to the ground, and then they lever up and they pivot from the back of the truck is what I'm reading here. All right, seeing in the picture, and uh, um, and somehow the oh I see what you're saying. It's the trailing edge. Trailing edge of the wing. I don't know if this is a ladder truck or a bucket truck or or what this is. I can't tell. It looks. I don't know. It could be just a paramedic rig, and that's what was available. Yeah. In any event, fire truck and the uh, aircraft uh, uh, met up on the pavement, and uh, everybody was okay. Nobody was hurt. Uh, apparently, even the guy who was sick um, came through it just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, everybody was describing it as like, it was like an earthquake. Uh, it was incredible. It was a big noise, you know. So, two days two days later, American Airlines announced the uh, that for an extra twenty five dollars a seat, you can get the DFW Earth Shaking ride as you taxi in. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. It's called the D ticket ride. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the double A ticket ride. The double A ticket ride. Yeah. Uh, um, but but what is it about? You know, all of a sudden we have this rash of vehicles running in the airplane. Maybe maybe. You know, we're just noticing them more often. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I know. You know, and and by the way, all kidding aside, the moral of this story and all these stories is that when when you're on an airliner and that you land and they all say, "Don't unbuckle your seatbelt until the captain tells you it's okay," 
listen to what they're saying because there's well, exactly. all kinds of stuff that yeah. can happen between the time you turn off the runway and the time you reach the gate. It's 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 you know laugh my ass off time every time you know last time I was an airliner was you know I don't know we were flying you know DC threes or something but um, I just laugh my ass off time when you know the. the to roll into the gate and everybody's you know hustling to get you know get all their stuff and, and they're ten minutes from the concourse because the door has to open the jetway has to come out mm-hmm. the, you know all this kind of stuff and all these people got to be first off the airplane so they unbuckle the seatbelt while the airplane's still moving and I'm like you don't know what you're doing yeah. I long ago realized, you know, I, everybody, not only that, even when you get to the gate, people jump to stand up immediately, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah. You know, you realize that if you're in the back half of the airplane, you're going to be standing now for five, ten minutes, you know. I mean, I mm-hmm. just kind of sit back and continue reading my book or whatever and uh, uh, take my time. So, anyways, that's. Uh, that's wacky airplane story number one. Uh, somewhat wacky airplane num- airplane story number two um, is a uh, is a parable on uh, why you should tie down your airplane when you go and park it at any place for that matter. Uh, cool video uh, from. <laughs> it is a cool video. <laughs> now I gave you guys a second link. You can open whichever link you want to, but the first link uh, go- takes you to a web page with the video embedded, but also a couple other videos that start playing without any permission. So I gave you a link to to the original okay. of the video. Um, so it's a uh, small aircraft of some sort. Um, I, I'm, as usual, I can't identify this airplane, but uh, it um, looks like an LSA. Yeah, LSA like, of some sort of sport cruiser or a Gobosh or yeah, something like that. It's a low wing, looks European. Yeah, yeah so it's it's sitting and, up there. And, and I do hope he was talking to AC, ATC because he did a low level right turnout. Yeah, no, yeah, it's great yeah, yeah. because it shows. So the, it, it's sitting there on the ramp, and at first it looks like everything's hunky dory, and then the and you can see the wind is starting to gust and. To get a, start a little, starts to get a little light on the loafers. Yeah, and so suddenly it starts pivoting on the main gear. The nose gear lifts up in the air, and so it kind of pivots that way a couple times. And then all of a sudden, there must be a big gust because it almost looks like CGI. I looked at this a couple times, going, "Is this real?" All right, because this airplane literally lifted off. I mean, it just lifted straight up in the air, and like David says, it looks like it was making a right a right turnout. It's uh, it's pretty funky, and it just goes to show you, you know, I mean, you got a good enough wind, you your airplane can go somewhere. It's meant to fly. That's the whole idea. That's the whole idea. I'd be really surprised if uh, another piece of video covering to the left of the shot that we see, that there wouldn't be footage in there of it rolling completely over on its back and coming crashing down on the roof. Because that's what happens in general. Uh, One wing gets a little bit more than the other. It has to be a little cross or maybe the yoke or the stick is a little bit more right than center. Or left and center, and uh, clearly the 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 elevator on that was uh, the control was pulled back. It, 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 and, it, it was secured. So. Yeah, it would yeah. seem so. Yeah, because it didn't it did not move. It did not waver in the air. Uh, it seemed to be pretty well locked there. It looked like a it could have been a stable later, uh, but whatever that pitch was, uh, yeah, it's up the whole time. And then she lifts, like you say, she rattles a little bit. And then she gets light on her nose, and then she gets lighter on her nose, and then she gets light on the mains, and then one, two, three, and away we go. And it was a, a pretty, yeah, I know, that looks goes in the clip that's right just, there, right? That, that's, that's, that's just wrong. That's yeah. <laughs> just wrong. But uh, it had a pretty good climb rate going there, man. I mean, I, I don't think that airplane takes off that yeah. fast. I mean, yeah. it, it, well, it, it, it was... 
it was it was it was lightly loaded. It's true. Yes. Well, and the fuel efficiency was just off the scale. I know, huh? So that was uh, that's sto- uh, wacky story number two, and then wacky well, story. It, yeah. it, it, how often, outside of a hang gliding mountain launch, where you do it off your feet, how often do you see a dead stick takeoff? I know. I know. There's the mountain guy, but other than that, yeah, right. And, and, and it was VTOL, like very, very, it had no takeoff run. I know. I mean, it literally lifted straight. It actually went, it, I think it actually went, you know. Re- it basically did go straight up. Yeah. Relative to the yeah. ground, it almost went backwards a little bit. And Call that the Harrier 3. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. All right, and then finally we have uh, every pilot's well. No, this is a variation on every pilot's worst nightmare. You're always hearing stories about people who are landing at the wrong airport. You know, they're all lined up and they're talking to the tower, and the tower is going, you know, report one mile final, and they report one mile final, and the tower goes, I don't see you, and it turns out that they're landing at completely the wrong airport. That's like five miles, you know, to the south or something like that. All right. Well, now we've got a story here about this uh, student pilot who who didn't simply land. He didn't simply fail to land at the airport he was trying to land at. He apparently landed on a road a mile away from the airport thinking it was the airport. This is just too much. I I really hate when that happens. I know. I know. Well, you know, you look at the, uh, let's see now, someplace, I don't know why I'm reluctant to open the story. It's got no video. I can open the story. Um, but there's a there's a link to the, or I, somewhere I saw a link to a uh, the the airport the the area around the airport on Google Maps and uh, Avweb yeah Avweb did put, Avweb put have that yeah. yeah and uh, um, and uh, you know and you look you, so you see the airport on Google Maps and then you see this kind of parallel road you know maybe a quarter of a mile away from the runway and I'm thinking oh that must be the road that he landed oh on. I've been into pilot country. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah so uh, it turns yeah. out the road that he landed on, according to the map I saw, was way far away. I mean, he wasn't even nearby. He was, And it was a, from Google Maps, it didn't look like a very substantial road other than being straight and oriented in the right direction. It's not even really oriented in the exact direction. There's a slight angle to it. But, I, you know, I, I've, I have mistaken one airport for another. I've not even I've tried to land at it at night. This was, this was at night. Uh, I was doing this. I don't know. I presume this was night also for this guy. But um, um, I, I recognized what I was doing, you know, four or five miles out and was still at altitude. I wasn't trying to land there. It's like, you know, this is just not adding up. That runway orientation is wrong. And, and you know, the DME or whatever it was in counting down right and, and you know, da-da-da-da-da. So, no, I said, no, nah, this ain't right. Let me Let me just hold what I got here and figure out what's going on. And um, you know, obviously, I was I was had the the wrong airport in sight. But this is just beyond. And, and I don't know. I I've not been into pilot country. It's it's nearby. I could certainly go do so. But maybe now is not a good time. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's probably very popular now. It's a destination. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's check true. it out. Yeah. Right? I want to yeah. see what it really looks like. You know, that's you know, I mean, landing at the wrong airport is embarrassing, but you can kind of understand it because you know, un- unfamiliar airports, you know, they look like unfamiliar airports, and right. And I can imagine. I've never done it, but I can imagine getting confused and landing at the wrong, wrong runway, wrong airport. But to land on a on a, on a road thinking it's the airport, it's just. Well, and be, to, to to and by the way, I'll probably do it next summer. You know, next to, spring to, to 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 be a little bending over backward for the poor five month pilot. It, it, he was going for a residential air park. 
That's where true. there were going to be houses down the side. Okay. Now, the mailboxes, maybe not so much. Yeah, but, okay. You, you got to look out for the mailbox. not on the runway side. You got to watch out for the mailboxes at Hidden River. So, you know, it's not always, that's not always the tip Right, but they're not, they're not along the runway. Well, I know. They're along, not yeah. even, not no, even the airmail stuff. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. anyway. I, I did have a, I did have a friend uh, ask me recently, well, you know, um, if I'm driving in your neighborhood, and there's an airplane taxiing on the on the on the roadway. What do I do? And it's like, well, you know, pull in a driveway, uh, back up until you can find in the driveway and pull off, and and what? I just remember they don't have reverse gears. So, um, yeah, I think she got the message. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So, uh, well, you know, dude, you walked away. Uh, sorry to hear that, but. You will live to fly another day, and you know there could have been somebody out in the backing out into the street right about the time you were touching down. Well, you dodged that. He's he's lucky, and everybody on the street is lucky that you know they weren't you know kids weren't playing or something like that. But I love this quote from a resident of the subdivision, not the not the air park, the subdivision, who told Tampa Bay Online he was backing out of his driveway with his 11-year-old daughter in the car when he saw the Cirrus land, quote, right in front of me, close quote, and continued down the street. Quote, we watched mailbox after mailbox. I haven't logged how, any mailbox time lately. Yeah, how would you like to be the guy that just laid in a supply of four-by-fours and new mailboxes? <laughs> yeah. And knocking down mailboxes, that makes it reportable, right? That's a federal crime. You can't knock down a mailbox. It's, oh, but you report uh, that to a different outfit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the feds descending on this neighborhood would be just uh, mind-boggling at this Who's time. the serial mailbox killer? That's what That's I want right. to know. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode uh, 263 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise that's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got skyriders now we got skyriders we got now. skyriders they, now. They, it, does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site clear around turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and alpha we are recording this episode on uh, Monday evening, November 28th, 2011, and joining me here in the virtual hangar, my two good friends. First of all, Jeb Burnside's out there talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm good. Um, trying to recoup from uh, the holiday and uh, get some stuff done. And uh, been kind of rainy and overcast and dreary here. It's kind of cold. It's, I don't know, 68. Um and, uh, you know, just trying to muddle through all that and, and uh, you know, lucky to have the opportunity to chat with you guys. I, I just don't know how you tolerate temperatures like that. Oh, my I God. Know. No, it's, it's, I know. I, I know. It's, it's <laughs> sacrifices must be made. Yeah, I know. You know, somebody's got to live down there, right? So. Yeah, that's right. Hey, and also out there is Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing just lovely. Had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Hope everybody out there did, too. Uh, got back from a few days out in our favorite Beltway territory, 
and uh, got to see some friends and visit with some associates and even ate turkey twice. So that was, you know, that 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 was all worth the trip. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was going to say something. Now I've completely lost it. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to you from coming to you from high atop Lookout Point. In uh, we're having a heat wave, Nottingham, New Hampshire. It's been in the 60s for the last couple of days. It's crazy out here right now. Um, it was even warmer while I was in Las Vegas, but I've been back in Las Vegas four or five days now, and uh, it's still very very nice here. It's it's nuts. It's nuts. But nuts, nuts. Yeah. Well, how long were you in Vegas? I was in Vegas for twelve days, thirteen days. Wow. And uh, yeah, and we, we recorded uh, the last episode partway through that that two weeks or yeah. week or whatever. And then and now it's been a long time. I mean, it's been like two almost two weeks since then, since we recorded this yeah. episode. Yeah, it's so. been a while since we we did, did an episode and uh, you know the holidays and and um, the holidays and then we had a little we had a little uh, scrub mission scrub a couple yeah. days ago yeah. and uh, well as, as someone pointed out who was the who was the smart guy <laughs> yeah. right, who was the smart guy who scheduled us to record on Sunday morning after yeah. Thanksgiving yeah right? it's Sunday morning at ten a.m. after well, it was nine a.m. or some something yeah something like equ- something equally absurd yes yes well, it wasn't like you know an old dark thirty like. We've done on other yeah. occasions when Jack's been on the road. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no. I mean. Yeah. So, anyway. So, so anyway. Sad, Sunday morning uh, arrived, and we kind of thought better of it. And uh, um, I was a little under the weather, and things didn't come together. So we said, no, let's not do it on Sunday morning. And so we postponed a little longer. And that was well, that was we, yesterday. We, yeah. We had to be up at three freaking thirty Saturday morning to get to DCA in time for our flight home from out there. Oh, uh, you had a little encounter with the uh, American Airlines systems. Not American Airlines, but the Airlines of America. Well, it was, you know, I had no complaints uh, about with the, 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 the human mailing tube experience this time out. Uh, the flight out out of Wichita was late, but we had a good cushion changing planes in Memphis. Got into DCA right on time. Rain, low clouds, ugly. It was like, yeah, they do this all the time. Uh, coming back, the only downside was having to be up at O'Dark 30. And when the van service kind of tried to, now, now, sir, you really want to take our pickup time so that you're at the airport more than two hours early. And I was like, yeah, this isn't my first time at this carnival. Two, I've got my bags. I've got my boarding passes. I'm going straight to security. And security doesn't open up that early anyway. Mm-hmm. So... We were we were still there. We got a, a later pickup, and we were still there twenty minutes ahead of when the security checkpoint opened up. So really, that is early. I, you know, I just I'd forgotten. I had a bizarre situation on the airlines coming over from Las Vegas. This is the one of the strangest. I mean, I guess this happens all the time, but it's never happened to me before. Um, I uh, dear penthouse, this never happened to me before. <laughs> I never thought something like this would ever happen to me. But let me tell you this story. And and but this little snafu, you know, was kind of like these things happen, I guess sometimes. Okay, air, uh, general aviation. Generally, oh yeah, that's why we're here. General aviation. We got to do at least one item from the list here before we completely run out of our allotted time. Um, 
Forgive us, folks. We have, we just haven't chatted with each other. I know. Week. It's been two weeks. Yeah. Off-field landing of the week. We got two. We got two off-field landings. Three, if you count the kid who landed on the on the city street. Um, uh, see, now, uh, this uh, cool yeah, video. Yeah, he doesn't get that now. No, no, he doesn't. Uh, cool video of uh, Cessna 172 doing an emergency landing on a highway. Um, by chance, they had a guy shooting video in the back seat. And so you get chance to see, um, you know, uh, out across the... Uh, well, see, the use of port- Portable electronic devices is probably the reason the engine quit. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, there's actually a, well, it's another story altogether. We we will just di- we'll call this episode digression. That's what we'll call this episode. Digression. Digression. Um, wow, look at that highway. Yeah, this is really cool. He really does land. Right, you see, it. he's come right down onto the highway. And uh, you know what? I, you know, ha- now seeing this, so a long time ago, I made some comment about landing on a highway and whether or not you wanted whether landing with the flow of traffic really made sense because you're coming up behind people and they're coming up behind you and you just can't see what's happening. But seeing this. I can now see how it does work out well to go in the direction of traffic. Um, is that you know, assuming there's any sort of space on the highway at all, you can, you know, get yourself into the open spot and then suddenly you're visible to the people behind you, and it works. And uh, so this is a cool video. This is a. Uh, um, let's see now, if I open the link, it's going to show me the video, and I don't really necessarily want to do that. It is a cool video, and he rolls a long time. Yeah, he does. I think he was like looking for a place to turn off. I think he's going downhill too. Yeah. So uh, on board a Cessna 172 on April 25, we had an engine failure over Highway 10 in Quebec, Canada. Had to make an emergency landing. Doesn't have the guy's name here that I'm seeing, but uh, uh, congratulations to this pilot and uh, to his uh, uh, seemingly knowledgeable friend in the right seat uh, for uh, successfully putting the airplane down uh, on and and for giving us a little uh, a little lesson in how to do it and how it works and you know so that's a good thing. What's next? Well, you, yeah. you saw the traffic on the opposite lanes. Yeah, yeah, there was. Tra- oh, yeah, you're right, and that's oh, another yeah. thing. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking, okay, you're right. I don't want to be landing on that way. Closure <laughs> rate alone says yeah. no. No, no, very, very, gra- very, very, very good example of why he, you absolutely. Yeah, this this is this is downhill, and yeah, he does roll a ways. He rolls a ways, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and 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 you look at the closure rate, and in Grok, the possibility, the probability, that. Two out of the first ten drivers you encounter will either be talking on the phone, screwing uh-huh. with a text, uh-huh. or fumbling with the radio. Right. And that's going to be the two guys that don't see you. That's right. Yeah. So, so Sudden congr- stops are the only thing at her. No, they did a good job. Congratulations. Yeah. Good job to this pilot and to his uh, uh, helper in the right seat. They, uh, they got it down safely. Good deal. Uh, let's see now, David. Uh, we haven't talked about Light Squared in a while. Light Squared is the uh, is the uh, uh, cell phone carrier company that uh, wants to implement a system that most of us believe is going to just plain savage the GPS system. Um, and they're not giving up, man. They're really working at it. But David, what's the story now about uh, about Light Squared? Well, my uh, one of my U.S. senators, uh, Senator Pat Roberts. He's the senior senator from the state of Kansas. Uh, recently uh, introduced legislation to try to block any approval by the Federal Communications Commission to allow Light Squared to use its planned frequency, this planned terrestrial network in a satellite spectrum. Okay, that's what this argument has been about all along. 
there are spectrums set aside for different things. The satellite spectrum is set aside and protected because satellite signals tend to be much, much weaker, coming from, in some cases, 22,000, 30,000, 40,000 miles out in space. And by the time the signals get to Earth, they've not only traveled a long way, been attenuated by atmosphere, they've spread out a lot. Well, the chairman of the FCC has been trying to lean this whole thing toward approving Light Squared's plan for a telecommunications network that would build on the satellite spectrum, just like is allowed in satellite spectrum land. You can use satellites to send signals down to communicate, and signals can go back up and blah, blah, blah. Except Light Squared figured out that they weren't going to be able to deliver the coverage and the speeds and make the business model that they wanted sticking strictly with the satellite spectrum. So they said, and we also want a waiver to use these thousands of ground networks. We're going to call them supplemental. Supplemental. They're just supplementing what the satellites do. It all sounds so pretty. It's like whipped cream supplements your dessert. Uh, Except the signal strength, the relative signal strength between what the satellites can get down here uh, from 22,000 miles out in space, like... To compared to the ground based, the terrestrial networks is, you know, by a factor of a thousand or better. Right. So our GPS won't hear anything. Well, this has all been tilted going back into the 2007, 2008, 2009 timeframes toward helping promote wider availability of broadband, stuff that we take for granted if we live in urban areas. Uh, people in less urban areas, not so much. Uh, all in the name of that and making it competitive and cheap. Except all they had to do was keep their bloody antenna probe out of the satellite spectrum. They don't want to do that. They own that. They'll have no competition there. They can sell lots of lots of bandwidth to lots of corporate customers, make lots of money, and screw lots of GPS users. So... Development's a good idea, and promoting development's a good idea, but promoting developments that screws up very well-planned use is like you developed a subdivision, and you wanted it to be you know, very nice and idyllic and good schools for everybody, and it was going to be free of industry, just the businesses there to support those people. And then one day somebody came along and said, that's a wonderful place. We really like to be there, too, except when they get there, they said, now we want a waiver to put up a trash processing plant, a landfill in your park. It's going to be good for you. Trust yeah. us. And it won't interfere with the quality of your life. We'll make sure of that. So this is one that's over the, over while, the top. And while you're building that subdivision, make sure you put X's on the, on the end of any long <laughs> stretch of road. Right? So students in SR20s don't land in the middle of it. Right. So, David, what's the new news about the whole light squared thing? Well, the, the the new news is that congressional interest is is getting, and this is bipartisan. Okay, this is both parties, left, right, and even middle people, uh, are kind of waking up to the fact that the middle they're proposing are, some really. Okay, I'm writing it down. Okay, some really expensive uh, problems for satellite users to solve if this is allowed to go forward. That 
there are alternatives that aren't being considered. And now legislation is pending and it's gaining co-sponsors. In the meantime, the chairman of the FCC, who was the one who kind of said, yeah, we'll go with the waiver despite our professional staff's recommendation against it, is now kind of holding up his hand saying, you know, unless you guys can prove that this works, we're just going to have to let the waiver run out. And it looks like finally there's a little inertia moving our way. Uh, despite the huge amount of money that Light Squared has been spending on lobbying uh, and lobbying and working on filters that will only cost eight bucks a piece, and we'll all have to buy them because obviously our units are defective if they allowed any any interference, even from systems that were never designed to be there. It's like saying, "Wow, we didn't mean for your wife to get pregnant when we folded, fielded those defective <laughs> okay. condoms." Right. Stop, stop, David. stop, focus, stop. focus, David. Focus. <laughs> What's but the it's new only news? A little pregnancy, you'll get over it. <laughs> okay, so 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 they're com- the government's coming to its senses, and there's more hope that they're going to shut these guys down. Is that the story? That's the story, and. With legislation pending and amendment to a funding bill, and, and that's, that's a topic for another day by itself, uh, it's time for us to all do things like we did when we were screaming about the TSA's large aircraft security program and about user fees, and that's to write a note, then drop an email, and then call your federal lawmakers' offices and say not only no, but... No. Yeah. No, okay. just say no to light squared. Give them someplace else to go. Let them trade their spectrum space out of the satellites for something appropriate. Yeah. But keep them the hell out of our GPS spectrum. Otherwise, we're going to wish pregnancy on your women relatives. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, no. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, Leesburg, one of the, uh, what do they call it, Jeb? The, the Potomac 7, the 10, no, no, the 3? The- no, they, it was the, they call it, I call it DC-3. It's, it's actually three airports in Maryland. DC-3. Leesburg is in Virginia. Yeah, Leesburg is in Virginia. Got it, okay. And uh, there's a cutout. Um, Leesburg is just, you know, kind of sort of in the wrong spot. Uh, it's it's just a few miles uh, north northwest of Dulles. One, one could and, say that all three of them just happen to be in the wrong spot. But well, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. But but as far as you know, Leesburg and Dulles are concerned. Leesburg's definitely getting the short end of the stick here. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- times were back in the day, you know, they coexisted quite nicely. But the the Bravo drops down right on top, uh, like a hundred feet above the pattern altitude at Leesburg. Uh, if you go beyond, if if you make a, um, if you extend your downwind for the uh, northbound runway, you're going to fly into the Bravo. Plus, there's uh, the CIFRA, the the Special Flight Rules area, uh, that is security oriented that still exists, and um, um, but but Leesburg is kind of like right on the cusp of being uh, outside uh, the ring for the CIFRA, so that they've carved out. Um, some special procedures to ease the burden, ease the CIFRA burden on Leesburg operations, and it's basically squawk a specific code inbound and a squawk a specific code outbound, uh, and and fly a specific route below certain altitudes. Um, so, yeah, and, and and that works all that works really well. Um, what I, I I can't find the actual mention, but they are going to significantly they're planning anyway to significantly lighten that up. 
uh, sometime in the near future. I don't know exactly what the details are. I know it's a foot, but I just don't know the details. Okay. David, anything you want to add to that? Anything that makes living and flying around uh, Potomac airspace easier and less hassle uh, is generally a good thing, and this one's to be applauded. Uh, they they should have never been in inside that to begin with, but you know, well, no. TSA cool, will cool. be TSA. No, it's, it's, less, it's less TSA than it is Secret Service, and it's always been you know at one level or another Secret Service driven. They want a minimum reaction time, and to get that minimum reaction time, they have to have a, a wide area uh, within which to work. I get all that. Um, but there are other ways to skin this cat and chopping five miles off the Leesburg, um, um, response time, if you will, uh, isn't, isn't going to hurt anything. And they should have been doing this stuff a long time ago. There should be, you know, it's kind of sort of are, but there should be specific and, and better defined procedures, uh, for all the airports there. Um, as long as that's what you're doing is going to or from an airport, you shouldn't have to put up with the rest of this nonsense. And people, people have been talking about trying to do that since '02. So this is nothing new. It, it, the wheels, the wheels just move very slowly. And in this case, you know, at least they're moving. But oftentimes they move in the wrong direction too. Yeah, yeah. So. It actually is moving at a break the glacier speed limit pace. Yeah, I know. It's like moving the shuttle from the shuttle assembly facility to the launch pad. Oh, man, no. The shuttle would have done this much faster. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> this next one, you know, and I'm, real, I'm, I'm tempted to skip this because we're running so short on time here. I had spent so much time telling you my uh, Southwest story. Uh, that, uh, But... Uh, um, but you know, so you know, we're doing the survey, the uh, the listener survey, and uh, the listener survey. It, it, one of the things that's coming, that's being confirmed by the listener survey, is something that we've sort of known for a long time, and that is that our listeners love it when you two fight. And <laughs> Jane, you ignorant slut. And one of the things we've discovered over the years is the most reliable way to get you guys going. All right, is to start talking about ADSB. Let's see now, Jeb. You put this on the list, so I'm going to let you start. There's been some, um, as I put earlier, new news uh, about ADSB in the last couple of weeks. What, what's the new news that uh, has come out recently? Well, it, it's. I think it's getting. I think it's getting over um, played, and, and, and you know, I'm going yeah. further yeah. that. I'm going to further that here just for a moment. Uh, but this is a November 18 story in a um, uh, magazine slash website called Air Traffic Management. AirTrafficManagement.net. Uh, the head on it is uh, FAA must justify ADS investment according, basically according to an industry advisory group. And what's happened here is the, an FAA chartered uh, panel, the the Aviation Rulemaking Committee, uh, dealing with ADSB, um, said uh, just this month uh, it has concluded there is as yet no business case for an equipage mandate for ADSB, uh, presumably in. I'm, I'm not sure about out. No, out is. It, no, uh, I think it, I think the ship is. Uh, you think the ship is sailed on out on ADSB out. Right. What, this is specifically about in. What the special committee is saying, or what this ARC is saying, ARC ARC uh, is saying, is there's no business case at this time 
for operators to equip with ADSBN. We get all the, everything that we're supposedly going to get th- from ADSB. We get it now without the additional expense and without additional airspace restrictions uh, imposed on us if we don't equip with ADSB out. So there's the, there's still you know even in in this this ARC this arc. Um, I I don't. The committee was chaired by Steve Brown from NBAA and uh, uh, Tom Hendricks uh, of the Air Transport Association of America. So there's there's two of the major, uh, uh, one major Part 91 player and 91 slash 135, and the 121 player uh, saying, hey, you know, guys, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of benefit to the to us right now. So that's 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 in and of itself certainly a quite a statement, but I I have no you know no doubts that uh, eventually the ARC will will come around and be shown the errors of their ways, and they will grudgingly admit that ADSBN does have some value and people should equip with it. It's not going to happen for a couple of years, uh, but it will happen. Well, I I I agree with the committee. And oh, I, I agree I, with the committee. I, I, disagree, I disagree with the idea that they'll be dragged around because the the, the benefits of ADSBN. I don't think were, they'll be dragged were always, around. We're oh. always directed at the level of airspace user who's not flying aircraft or not flying on a budget that's going to let him put in a ten thousand dollar anti collision system and a uh, a $5,000 weather database link in his airplane, but would like to cash in on some of those benefits like live weather and and live traffic and can provide an avenue to that without that kind of investment. Uh, And I don't think it should be mandatory uh, because they don't require, at least not mandatory where they don't require traffic now, and that's all the kind of corporate and business operations that were represented predominantly on this committee. Well, uh, I think they need to have an ADSBN equipment standard, a TSO, so that guys can put it in and know that it's going to be allowed under STC or field approval or some way that they can know that they're buying equipment that they can use without you know, jury rigging their approval or how it's installed. Well, but unless they're going to start mandating traffic on, you know, 91 airplanes like Cherokees and 172s, I don't see a reason to mandate it on these guys because they already have that kind of equipment on board. Jeb? They're already getting the weather. They're already getting uh, the traffic. Uh, they already are required to have terrain, uh, which ADSBN won't give them anyway. Uh, but, you know, I don't see why they needed to have, have it required. I think it's smart if you don't have it. And you're looking for a budget way to acquire that type of uh, service. Yeah, cool. Give us a standard. Jeb, you trying to jump in here? Jane, you ignorant (laughs) slut. Yes. (laughs) First of all, uh, let's not conflate ADSB out with ADSB in. No, nor should we we, uh, um, uh, forget. You know who the really benefits 
with ADSB out. Okay, first of all, or sex, I can all. But let's back up a second. Uh, I don't know that Brown or Hendricks are going to get rolled by the FAA on this. This ARC has probably got a fairly short life. There'll be another one along in the near future, and it could be you know somebody else. But the punchline is eventually AR, that ARC will will buy into. Um, uh, ADSBN um, and say, okay, fine. And now, and now there's a benefit to us. Thank you very much, FAA. Um, so, you know, that could be a couple of years from now. It could be, you know, April. I don't know. But punchline is um, here, here's what we should be doing. If we have to have, um, and, and ADSB out is probably a, a foregone conclusion. I and mean, by the time it's mandated, um, I think we'll have uh, uh, some some less expensive and better equipment that will also take advantage, perhaps, of some ADSBN standards. Right it's now, it's not mandated until 2020. By then, we'll all have flying cars. Well, that that could be. I, I'm still looking for my rocket pack. Exactly. But, exactly. But 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 2020 <laughs> is only eight years away, dude. You know, check your yeah. calendar lately. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that far off. And I know. And I'm I'm still flying behind a 12 year old um, uh, GNS 530 Garmin. Okay, so and, and this that's starting to get long in the tooth. That used to be you know uh, um, the hot lick back in the day. That's starting to get long in the tooth. So as time does march on. Okay, but but two additional points, real quick. ADSBN uh, there is no standard right now. Right, uh, and and some of the standards relative to ADSB out, and some of the popular technologies uh, for ADSB in are kind of sort of in conflict with each other. Uh, there's there's certain frequencies, different frequencies for for various things, and um, some systems would require maybe an operator oh. to have two different transponders. Okay, but but here, here's the deal: ADSBN should be rather than uh, uh, there should be a standard. There, there has to be a standard because there's just a lot of competing technologies out there. Great. But we all we also need to have something in the way of a minimum performance standard uh, for ADSBN. And the punchline is just as you can with inertial and just as you can with GPS and just as you can with other um, nav systems out there, you're flying to a minimum performance standard. So to get an ADSB an equivalent, for example, maybe an airborne TCAS system uh, would be just as good or would meet the same minimum performance standards. Um, there are other ways to skin the navigation cat, too. That's true. Um, there are. And, and then finally is is the um, another component of ADSB, and we have we have weather uh, already in the cockpit via data link. Again, minimum performance standard kind of thing. And then uh, uh, there's other examples out there. Um, the problem, though, is as I see it, is first of all, there's just simply no ADSB in standard. Um, plus, the ADSB out standard is not all that. Um, um, compatible with equipping with some of the uh, ADSBN equipment that's available right now. So there's there's certainly an immature market on both levels, ADSBN, ADSB out, and by the 2020 equipment mandate, um, I think we'll start seeing a lot more options. Right now, I couldn't tell you what I would I should do about my airplane and getting it ADSB out compliant because. Uh, there's just too many options, and there's really uh, no uh, uh, killer app or killer uh, piece of hardware that gets you a kind of a, an all-in-one solution here. 
maybe that's coming, but it ain't there yet. So it, it, either way, you're talking big bucks to go, you know, visit an avionics shop just to upgrade a, a, an airplane into ADSB out that really doesn't buy you a whole lot of anything. You can upgrade ADSB out depending on the choice you want. Uh, currently, for uh, about twenty five hundred dollars, with a transponder that will plug and play to your in, in place of your existing transponder. Uh, but that well, that won't include uh, tying it into the GPS, which is also required. Nor will it include an upgrade of the GPS to WASPEC, which will buy you access to even more airspace down the road. Okay. So there's there's a lot of little jumping off places here, and yeah, I can I can equip a a, a Piper Cub for ADSB out, um, but there's there's more going on than just the basic specs. Okay, one more time. <laughs> oh, you, can, don't, you can you can do a plug and play. You can don't do make a plug me hurt you. you. You can do a plug and play transponder. Yeah, if you got a brand, if you got a bare panel with nothing in it. You can, you, got, you, can you can do, do whatever plug, you want, but if you've got you a bunch a of plug, other legacy equipment... You can do a plug-and-play transponder. There's no... That, there's NFW. That, November that, that, Jeff, Foxtrot Jeff, let, Whiskey. Let David make his point sit, here. Go ahead, David. Did we lose David? That was like perfect timing. He fell, he fell off the chair. Yeah, really. Let's see. Wait, wait, is he still with us? Where is David? Are you back? Yes, we're here. <laughs> so, David, um, before we were also rudely interrupted, David... Um, Wrap it up, David. Tell us, finish your thought, there, and then there, we're going to move there's, on. There's a, there are transponders that meet the ADSB out requirement with integral WAS engine that meets the standard. It doesn't have to be a standalone navigator. Matter of fact, it doesn't even have to be a WAS GPS standard or navigator because there is a MOPS for that right. navigation position. WAS is the cheapest and easiest and most accessible way to do it. Uh, there are ADSB in and out boxes for twenty five hundred bucks that will plug into virtually every popular GPS with a WAS uh, engine in it. There's uh, a problem, There's and it's a, a cable. It's a cabling uh, and a code set. Uh, and the ADSB in uh, that gets into a whole different thing. Uh, the receivers are cheap enough. Uh, they're built to the current. Uh, to the current belief of what a TSO will be, uh, but you got to have a display. Uh, now your four thirty or your five thirty would probably cover it uh, because you've got a nice big display there. But yeah, that's going to get into some issues of how you connect that all with the display. You can put a uh, ten ninety extended squitter transponder in and satisfy it at all altitudes. Uh, but then you got to put a 978 receiver in to get US ADSB in, uh, or you can do it all 978 if you don't go above 18,000 feet. Uh, and that's available on all in one boxes that will plug and play with most of the uh, box uh, panel mounted navigators, or you can get it with an integral GPS engine inside so you don't even need an external one. That, okay. Of course, that don't help you navigate. Dave, you're making my my points for me. All right, D Jeb, real quickly, and then wrap it up. We're going to move on. You're making my points for me. Yeah, there's a there are a lot of options, but a lot of the equipment you talk about um, um, doesn't have um, 
all the approvals it needs. It might not have an STC, for example, so it's got to be installed under field approval. But my point is there's a lot of legacy equipment out there, and I'm kind of the poster child for that. Um, that by the time you say, all right, I want, I want to go ADSB out, and to do that correctly, to do it in a redundant fashion, uh, I'm going to have to upgrade this box. There's going to be some more wiring, another trip to the avionics shop, um, and um, that's going to get me this, and then I'll fly for that, fly on that for a few years, and then I'll go back, and then I'll find there'll finally be an ADS-BN standard that I like and plays and works well with my equipment, and we'll go that route. But the whole thing just seems like it, it's a little bit um, um, just cobbled together. And yeah, there's there's a lot of equipment out there, Dave, but it, some of it doesn't work and play well with the other equipment. If I had a Virgin panel or an LSA, uh, it wouldn't be such a big deal. But um, keep in mind that you know there's we still have to um, you know comply with IFR and everything else too. Uh, I don't know. It's you can it's get just a 1090 a crazy, ES words transponder. You can get a 1090 ES transponder that will plug into your 430. Uh, and that covers it. But I still don't. I still won't have the was. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you would have and, to send and, your box off to Garmin to get the was upgrade. Right, and the but and then the it box, would just plug into the and, transponder. And the box that um, where am I? Um, the the box that you know the hot lick for an ADSBN box might not work with, with this configuration. I might need the 1040. You know, I, I don't know. Um, all I know is I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, no. You're, uh, you're, you're, uh, no, no, I, no. I'm not, not going into the end part of it. The end part of it, you're right. There's, there's, there's only one option for in uh, if you went all in, in, and that's 978 receiver. Uh, there are many options for out, but you could put a 1090 ES transponder in where you've got your uh, uh, King transponder now. And if you had WAS on your 530, which is an upgrade you can do, uh, then they would talk to one another. Uh, you could even get that transponder with an integral altitude encoder so you don't have to have a separate encoder anymore. Okay, we're going to move on here. But uh, I know you've made a lot of listeners very, very happy, so uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Y'all, y'all go have a cigarette now, okay? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we don't have to be lost in space. I can fly the Jupiter 2 and get us back home to Earth. Warning, 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 warning. Silence, you belligerent bucket of bolts. Dr. Smith, you must not take the controls until you have received a safety briefing. Oh, all right, then. Go ahead. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Silence, you cantankerous clump of cogs! Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the spacecraft, uh, airplane. Are you that finished? Is all. What did you that say? Is all. Then yes, shut I up that finished. silly speaker. Oh, where is Jack Hodgson when you need him? You may proceed. All right then. Here we go. Danger, 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 danger. Um, on a on a very very serious note, uh, on a very sad note, um, uh, we we must 
I want to make a call attention to something here. For the last couple of years, uh, we have been uh, being entertained by the aircraft designs of a particular designer. It started for me a couple of years ago when we were at Sun and Fun. And uh, we saw uh, an ultralight, an unusual design that uh, we we hadn't seen before, and we had a lot of fun that week talking about the strange ultralight design. And uh, and later in that week, we discovered that this design uh, was the work of a guy named Mark Stull, who had been designing a new uh, ultralight uh, aircraft each year and bringing it to Sun and Fun. Um, and and he was fairly well known in that community. Um, the next year, uh, which I believe was this past uh, spring, uh, he brought a, a, another interesting design, which was an, air, an ultralight that was more or less traditional design, but had a very circular empennage. Um, and uh, uh, I thought it was a very stunning and, and, uh, and beautiful aircraft. Um, so he continued his, uh, his, uh, uh, his reputation of building new aircraft and bringing in the sun and fun. Sadly, uh, we discovered uh, that uh, this past week, Mark Stull was killed uh, when he was apparently test-flying his latest design. Uh, he was, apparent uh, from the news story, uh, near his home in Cristobal, Texas, um, and uh, he was uh, obviously alone in this ultralight aircraft, which crashed, I believe, soon after takeoff, and uh, and, and he was killed. Uh, a very, very sad thing. Um, Mark did some, even in the short period of time that I was aware of him, it was clear that he was doing some, some great work, and, and he had come to national attention. Uh, his designs had been uh, featured in uh, in Popular Mechanics magazine and, and others and uh, um, you know at least his work got the recognition it deserved um, outside of our our community um, our our thoughts and, and prayers and, and condolences go out to his family and his friends it's it's just a very very sad thing um, I guess I don't know I, I'm kind of speechless about this whole thing um, and uh, it's almost like I know this guy I mean I didn't know him I met him once for about five minutes I spoke to him for just a few minutes um, and yet we've admired his designs so much for the last few years that I feel like I know him a little bit and uh, and it's it, it it's it's so so sad I, I don't know if you guys want to add did either of you know Mark Stoll at all I did not I, I I did not either and and I I can't imagine being able to add anything to what you just said I saw him fly a number of times at Lakeland. Uh, was always impressed with his design prowess and his uh, construction. Uh, he, he built pretty airplanes, actually. Unusual, but pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, nothing wrong with that if they work. And it's a loss for the community. Anytime we lose a pilot, but when we lose somebody of his creative uh, uh, abilities, it's particularly tragic for the family as well as our community. So yeah, yeah. So um, obviously, he will be remembered for a long time because of his designs and because of all the people who uh, who admired his work. And uh, again, our condolences to his family and friends. Oh my! How do we follow that? Um, so. For the last couple, I don't know, last month or so, four or five episodes, I've been having some fun um, with uh, with a uh, probably unconnected uh, series of uh, A380 incidents, and uh, um, and a listener took me to task uh, uh, in the forums uh, in the. Uh, past week um and i won't go into the detail we were having fun with this i was trying i was joking around about how there was a connection and there was a you know a trend and there was something wrong with the a380 when i i hope it was clear that that's not what i really felt and that i was just kind of goofing around on the a380 um but uh 
listener who goes by the name of Biggles71, whose name apparently is Bjorn, um, has uh, has uh, given us some really useful information, some interesting perspective in the forums. Um, uh, uh, Bjorn is apparently a, uh, a type-rated, uh, type-rating examiner and instructor on A330s and 340s and is in the in the process of training up to the 380. And uh, he talks a little bit about these instruments and points out that the, the, the incidents were unrelated and uh, um, and then says a few good words about the A380 and, and a few frank words about it. And uh, um, I, I won't read it all, but I will urge people uh, who have any interest at all to go into the forums and look for a, uh, a thread called uh, A380 Incidents. Uh, UCAP 261 and uh, Biggles 71 sets us straight and uh, we thank him for that. You guys want to add anything to that? You say you straight. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you and that's that you haven't never happens. You've only read a few of the uh, of the uh, survey comments that we've received. Believe me, we're being set straight left and right. Um, let's see now. Where are we here? Uh, Finally, one last uh, off-field landing of the week. Uh, we got uh, a, a, yeah. another thing from the forums. Let's see now. I refresh my memory here. Um, yeah, it was called our attention in the forums um, that uh, this guy who, who uh, has a blog called Craig's World uh, has told a, a really interesting and extensive story about his engine out uh, landing in his Jabiru. Uh, LSA aircraft in, uh, I guess, some, someplace in Texas. Um, uh, very, very long and interesting story. Obviously, won't go into it here, but uh, um, it, it is pretty interesting to read. And he, he tells, the, you know, the sequence of events in, in some detail and talks about his attitude. The, the Great, there was the money quote here. Where is it? Let's see now. Um, did I write it in the notes? I think I did. Let's go back here. Let's see now. Um, the money quote um, from his first-person account is, uh, so he was talking about how the engine started running rough and they're flying along and he's trying to figure out what's going on and then the engine quit. All right, the money quote is once the engine stopped, the problem of fixing it was solved. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he talks a lot about how uh, how once the engine actually quit, that he was very nervous. He says he was very nervous. He was very almost panicked. I don't know if he used the word panic, but he was very very emotional and and stressed out when the engine was running rough and he was trying to figure out how to get the engine to stop running rough. But when the engine finally stopped and apparently it just stopped, uh, he said from that moment on he was totally calm because he now he knew exactly what to do. I got to land, and uh, and he did. He landed successfully, and uh, um, uh, apparently only minor damage to the aircraft landed in some sort of farm field i believe and uh, only because he apparently clipped a bush um and uh, and dinged the wingtip a little bit he, it was so minor that he didn't even realize it at the time um but see now this is the story i believe that also has the funny component which was that um he was in communication with emergency service people i think even during the the descent but certainly once he was on the ground he had a cell phone and and he was talking to people and the emergency people could not get to him he right. had gps mm -hmm. coordinates he said right. this is where i am but he was so in the middle of nowhere texas that the police and fire department couldn't figure out what roads to use to get to where he was <laughs> 
and uh, uh, apparently it took quite a long time for them to, uh, you know, finally a helicopter came out. Apparently they sent a helicopter out to spot the guy. He said, where is he? Oh, there he is right there. And the helicopter eventually landed, And uh, but uh, it apparently took quite some time. Um, there's another funny bit here where uh, the, I don't know if it was FAA or NTSB, I guess FAA, he was talking to an FAA rep who said, don't move the airplane, you know, we have to come and look at it, you're not allowed to move it. And no, 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 was, that was local law enforcement was saying that. No. Well, maybe, but my my recollection, I have to find it in the story here, is uh, that, so FAA said, don't move the airplane, you can't move it, you're not allowed to until we get to come and look at it, and he goes, no, 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 time out, there was no damage here, this is not reportable, and he says, anyways, the locals couldn't find this airplane, you're not going to be able to find it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, uh, he has a very good sense of humor about this thing, Um, and the lessons learned are pretty interesting, too, at the very end, Um, he talks about... uh, the psychological effect of once the engine quit, everything got calm, and it was just a, all a question of landing. He also talks about having real concerns about the Jabiru engine that was part of his aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, this is apparently the third engine failure he's had in two engines, two Jabiru engines, um, and that's a little sobering. Um, I know um, Amy has a Jabiru in uh-huh. her yeah. kit fox, and she and Barry sing its praises. They love that engine, so I don't know, maybe this guy's got a couple of bad ones but it's kind of interesting that he's had problems with his i, I don't know what that's all about but yeah. uh, um I, I recommend people to this story in uh, in craig's world blog uh yeah it's again, a good read there's a follow-up uh that i have not had a chance to read i just noticed it entitled so you've landed in a cow pasture dot 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 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 as nearly as i can tell goes into the trials and tribulations of of retrieving the airplane and and what he found when he got to the airplane and and this kind of thing after i think a weekend or so um after he hit he had actually made the landing mm-hmm. uh yeah the dates are uh november 9th is the fourth landing uh blog entry and then november 15th is the next blog entry uh, so there's follow-up here. It's, it's very enlightening. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So uh, let's see now if I can... Um, Craig is his first name. Um, his last name is not jumping out at me here. But uh, we thank him for sharing this with us. It's uh, entertaining and, and educational and, uh, and and good stuff. And uh, take a look. Uh, uh, Jeff will, of course, put a link to this in the show notes. Um, you could also find it by probably Googling Craig's World. Um, or it the the domain is mywphost.net slash Craig R. And so that'll probably get you close to um, interesting stuff. And that's our second off-field landing. Louis, congratulations to him for uh, successfully getting it on the ground and uh, and for sharing the information with us. Um, that's uh, We're going to go to shout-outs now, um, but anything that I've moved down to the other section below that you just don't want to skip before we move on? Uh, one little one. Okay, which one? I mean, uh, is it Star- Starman Auction, just in case anybody in the Atlanta area is thinking about buying an airplane. Starman's having an auction at Peachtree DeCab on uh, December 9, and 17 of the airplanes are auctioning off from the quote-unquote large flight school at the behest of secured creditors. That should be a hint. Uh, 17 single-engine trainers, uh, Cessna 172s and, uh, and Piper Cherokee variants. Uh, Starman usually runs a pretty good auction, and I've seen them uh, have real deals there if you know how to shop. 
if you're in the market and in the PDK area, uh, take a look at the website. The link will be there. Uh, take your mechanic and judge accordingly. Yeah. And that was very nearly a shout-out. So retroactively, let me say, shout-outs. There's a bunch of shout-outs. We have more than usual, not an awful lot. Um, I'll go first. Uh, a reminder to folks is we're going to leave the uh, uh, the UCAP fall survey online to be completed for just a little bit longer. I think we're probably going to leave it until about the f- uh, middle of December, uh, maybe about the 15th or so. So you still have time if you haven't already answered the uh, the survey. Um, the, the information we're getting from, from folks who have already f- uh, filled it out is, is terrific, and we really appreciate it. And uh, if uh, But we only want people to fill out this particular survey once. So if you've already done it, thank you, but we, we, uh, you, you're, you're set, you're covered. And, and there's a prize for the lucky winner, uh, a free episode of UCAP. Second place is two free episodes of UCAP. Yeah, there you go. No, there's no prize. There's just our, our gratitude um, for, for giving us information. So you can check out the uh, – or check out – you can fill out the survey at uh, uncontrolledairspace.com slash survey. And, uh, and we thank you very much for doing that. Please, if you haven't already, go do it. Jeb, you re-registered your airplane. Good for you. What's the deal? How about that? Uh, well, this is part of the FAA's um, <clears throat> re-registration effort ongoing and will be going on for another two or three years at least. Um, basically, uh, all the aircraft um, registered by the by the FAA uh, need to be re-registered, uh, which is the first time this has happened in my memory. <clears throat> uh, part of the uh, um, uh, deal here is... Um, Updating the FAA's records, there's, they're notoriously inaccurate. Part of the deal here is um, the, you know, the forces of darkness have to know where every single airplane is in the country at any one time. Uh, the third thing going on here is uh, um, statistically, um, because of the errors in the database, it's, it was kind of sort of impossible to really get a good handle on how many aircraft were active. Uh, yeah, we, we know how much fuel was sold, but we really don't know how active some of these aircraft are. So from um, just a uh, uh, keeping track kind of standpoint, it's not a bad thing. But anyway, uh, I got my notice in the mail uh, from the FAA, and you can uh, fill out a you know, couple of check boxes or something like that on the on the form and uh, fax it back. You can snail mail it back with a check, um, or you can just go online and click it through a couple of pages and um, be done with it. Give them five dollars via credit card. And uh, I haven't I haven't checked my mail today, but it should be in the mailbox. So uh, I'll you know, knock wood. <clears throat> I've got the, I've got that all day taken care of, uh, and it's in the mail or or literally in my mailbox. Um, but um, uh, if it's not, I'll report back next week. Mm-hmm. But it was it was it was painful. It was seamless. It was painless. Uh, painless. I'm sorry. Painless. Seamless. Um, uh, not a big deal. Yeah. Cool. Very very good. On behalf of all three of us, we want to uh, send out a big congratulations to our friend and uh, podcasting colleague, Steve Tupper, for uh, his 200th episode. Uh, Steve doesn't doesn't really kind of advertise the episode numbers the way we do, and this might have gone past my uh, without my note. Uh, noting it or noticing it, um, except that he mentioned it in the, in the uh, preamble to his current episode. Um, so uh, uh, congratulations to Steve. In addition to doing the AV, the uh, the audio podcast, Steve just does all kinds of terrific work um, in terms of uh, evangelizing and, and uh, um, educating people about aviation. Um, he does a lot of videos and and uh, storytelling and uh, uh, you know and and uh, of course AcroCamp, um, which is um, a few of us have had a chance to uh, to. In- 
to uh, get a taste of, and ultimately all of you will. It's been a terrific thing. So uh, congratulations to Steve for uh, uh, reaching episode 200, and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and see, it's like the people used to do this to us, so I'm not going to do it to him now, all right? Steve, we're waiting to see ep- another 200 episodes. Go, go, go. Um, and uh, that's terrific, Stephen. Congratulations. I never, I never heard anybody say that. No, <laughs> every time they'd say we'd get the uh, Tom Bolberesny did to us, did this to us on our yeah. live a live episode at, at Oshkosh. Yeah, I'm joking. We did two hundred, and, and Bolberesny says says, "Well, now I want to see four hundred. <laughs> oh, no, jeez, we just barely lived our all to two hundred. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, we don't know whether to kill Jack or Tom. You know? I know. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like greeting the well, woman who's being wheeled out of the delivery room and saying, "Okay, Steve, so when are you having your next child?" Um, Stephen Forrest, <laughs> when we're I look forward to congratulating you on your 400th episode. You go, Steve. Awesome. Hey, uh, Jeb, what's the story with Tangiers Island? This sounds cool. We've, I think we've talked about this in the past, but update us. We have talked about that in the past, and there's not really much of an update uh, to be had other than a reminder that it's kind of sort of that time of year. And uh, here, we, here we are once again <clears throat> um, where uh, a group of uh, DC pilots – DC area pilots are gearing up to uh, for the annual Holly run to um, Tangier Island, which is out in the, on the mouth of the Chesapeake, um, and in southeastern Virginia. Um, <clears throat> Helen Wood uh, is uh, um, the instigator this year. Helen's uh, I, I've flown with Helen before. Uh, she's uh, um, a very dedicated advocate for GA. She runs or helps run a uh, LSA. Uh, based training school uh, just off the Chesapeake. Um, very into it. She'll go far. I'm glad to see her helping out on this. I don't know how she has time, uh, but more power to him and more power to, to uh, uh, all the pilots that are going to be in participating in this this year. And, and when I say Holly Run, that's basically what it is. They're flying Holly to this island for Christmas, and it's kind of a big deal on the island. I don't know how many airplanes participate, you know, 10, 15, 20, something like that. Uh, but it's, yes, it's a good day. They'll have by all. So it's a nice, picturesque little island, too. Uh, um, kind of a cross between uh, um, um, Jaws and uh, Deliverance. Is this the island that has no cars? No cars have golf carts. There's one or two cars there. They, got, they only got in by boat. There's only two ways to get there by boat. Well, three ways. Airplane, boat, or swim. David, any other shout-outs? Just, man, if you can take part in the Holly Run, I got to ride along once years ago. It was like nothing I'd ever seen or experienced before. Uh-huh. And uh, something about the gratitude of the folks on the island when they come out to meet you and you get out of the airplane, uh, that by itself makes it worth the price of admission. All right. That's it. Anybody else? I, I had something else, but I can't remember what it was. Chances are we're going to do this again next week. So uh, You think? Mm, true enough. Anyway, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, all right. Let's stick a fork in him. Okay. That's Jeb Burnside. He's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com. It's a great place to start. Uh, JEBurnside.com. Um, now, we won't talk about the .net and the .biz stuff. Um, and then, <clears throat> then there's... Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, sometimes on LabWeb uh, and sometimes on uh, AEA.net. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, AEA.net. Uh, have something in the latest uh, uh, sport aviation, I believe. 
Uh, it was in the mail when I got it today. I haven't really looked through yet, but there was a check in the mail too. So, uh, That's a good thing. Yep. yeah, it, it always helps. It's one of my favorite places oh, yeah. for my byline right behind the words, pay to the order of, or do a, you know, dig around Google. It's like waving a metal detector over old clips. Something will be. Is that what it is? And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips and new intro clips. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, there's still time to fill out the, uh, the UCAP Fall Listener Survey. If you've already done it, thank you. If you haven't, please take a couple minutes at uncontrolledairspace.com slash survey. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at uncontrolled, the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Best way to live long is go fly because time spent flying is never subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. You know, it's been so long since we did one of these. Is this where I'm supposed to say AMFFM? Sure, why not? Okay, let's just do that. Can, can you just, like, you know, clip that out and paste it at the end? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Really? That is early. I, you know, I just, I'd forgotten. I had a bizarre situation on the airlines coming over from Las Vegas. This is the one of the strangest. I mean, I guess this happens all the time, but it's never happened to me before. Um, I, uh, Dear Penthouse, this never happened to me before. But. I never thought something like this would ever happen to me, but let me tell you this story. So we were, we, we uh, you know, first of all, our airplane was late. All right, we're waiting at the gate, and um, and they come on the thing, and they say, um, so there was a, a small maintenance thing with your aircraft. It's coming from Los Angeles to, to pick us up in Las Vegas, um, but they're going to fix it, and they'll be about a half an hour, 45 minutes late, and then as soon as they get here, we'll rush onto the airplane, and we'll get you onto your destination. So the airplane is, in fact, about a half an hour late, and we're all boarding about you know a half hour, 45 minutes late, and we all get boarded, and we get in our seats, and and someone who apparently is one of the flight, you know, the, the captain or the first officer or somebody comes on and says, says, well, and he gives us the whole burned out light bulb story. You know, he says, he says, well, he says, we got a burned out <laughs> light bulb and uh, the maintenance guys are here and they're fixing it, you know, and it's just going to take a few minutes. All right. And so then a few minutes later, he comes back on and says, OK, well, they got they got it fixed, but now they got to do the paperwork. And believe me, the paperwork takes longer than the than the than the repair a lot of times. And so I'm thinking, OK, well, I guess that's plausible. <laughs> And then, I forget the exact sequence of events, but a little while later, so I happen to be sitting literally in the very front row, which is another whole story altogether. I'm in the very front row, and I suddenly hear, I can't see, but I can hear, um, I got the clear impression that, now mind you, the captain and the first officer are apparently on the flight deck doing their thing with the burnout light bulb. Suddenly, I hear another flight crew arrive, and... One of them comes on, he, now, and he's actually standing in the aisle. I can see this guy in his whole captain's epaulets and the whole thing. And he's saying, 
Well, there's a problem with some other... Oh, he says the computer crashed. That's what he said. He said the computer crashed, and they're rebooting the computer, and it's going to take a little while. And I'm thinking, well, that's weird. What happened to the light bulb? All right. And so that went on for a little while. Then at some point, a passenger says, says, "Uh, excuse me, all right, if they're just rebooting the computer, why are they taking our bags off of the airplane? (laughs) 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 He looks out the window. And they <laughs> which 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 carrier was this, and what was the equipment? Where were you? you in Vegas? Uh, I was in Vegas. Um, it, it's Southwest, as a matter of fact. So okay, you know seven. Kind of, so it was so a seven thirty-seven. So so now now the so the bags. So then the, the then the flight attendants are kind of like you know shaking their head, going huh, and then they go, oh well, we know why they're taking the bags off because it had turned out that just as we were getting finished being seated. Um, for some reason that I still don't quite understand, a passenger. Uh, so the, you heard the flight attendants talking to each other, and not really secretively, but saying, "Okay, we've got a passenger back here who's not going to be traveling with us." Now I don't know whether this person was freaking out or whatever. It was not a, like a scene. That the person actually got up and walked off, no problem. All right. So, so they had a person leave the aircraft. So now they're taking the bags off, and the flight attendant says, "Oh no, no, no! The thing is, they've got to go in and find the bags Bag, of the person bag. that yeah. they took off." So I'm thinking, well, that's plausible. Sucks, but that's plausible. Um, so then a few minutes later, you know, they're still talking about the computers crashed and the light bulbs are burned out, and I'm still thinking there's like way too many pilots on this airplane. What the heck is going on? All right. And then finally, one of these pilots comes back on the intercom and says, Well, folks, I'm really sorry to tell you, but we've d- looked into this thing and we've done our thing, and this airplane, and, and here he worded this very carefully. He said, This airplane is not taking us, to, we were going to Chicago to change to. To connect, this airplane is not taking us to Chicago. All right, huh. and I thought that was just an interesting way of saying the airplane's busted beyond us being mm. able to fix it. All right, so then he goes, but the good news is there's another airplane at the gate right next to us, and that's going to be our airplane. Okay, now think about this for a second. All right, Southwest, you get a number, you stand up in line, you run on board and try and kill people to get a good seat. All right, and I'm, they've taken all our numbers away. We don't have our pieces of paper with numbers on them anymore. <laughs> How in the world do they move people from one airplane to another airplane without having a slew of unhappy people? And they did. I, have I would a sl- recommend stringing a rope and just letting eat the passengers pull themselves over. Yeah. And so, anyways, they made us get off the air off the airplane. We went to, to the next gate. We stood in line. They said, they said, please try and get in line by according to whatever number you were. Remember your number. All right. <laughs> And then they had a printout, and they read, and then so they started, they wanted us to just go in order, but apparently it's the first 15 in Southwest are the magic 15 people who get special treatment, you know, and so they, but they weren't on the list, and it was, oh, it was just a mess. They ended up reading, calling our names one at a time in the order that our number was on the list, and we finally, so anyways, we all back, back, and and interestingly, just about everybody got the exact same seat that they had in the first airplane. It was, it was actually much more orderly than I feared it might be. Um, Anybody bring along an extra light bulb? Yeah, well, no. The second airplane seemed to function just fine. <laughs> and uh, we got on our way, and we got to Chicago not all that very, very late. And we finally made it to Manchester, like really only about a half hour late. We left Las Vegas like two hours behind schedule. And uh, by the time we got to Manchester, we were only about a half hour, 45 minutes behind. So, now, but- there's something to be said about Southwest's system not being built completely around the hub and spoke system uh, and their single type 
operation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they actually keep more spares available, if I remember this correctly. I was told this one. They keep more spare lift available than most other carriers, which means that they've got some airplanes that aren't always earning their keep, but that are usually easy to slot into, like that airplane next door. That's our ride to Chicago, and they'll bring over another one from L.A. or San Francisco to replace that one for the flight it's supposed to be. So they'll spread the laid out instead of making one of you get scrod to the wall because, oops, you we only had one airplane available for that. It can only come into this gate, and well, this gate's you know got your broken airplane oh, in it. So that's that's indicative of a of a fairly enlightened uh, and well managed back room operation dispatch it, basically. Absolutely. Well, but let me tell you my theory. Here's my conspiracy theory, and, and folks, we really are going to talk about general aviation at some point during this episode. I promise. Um, the uh, so we're finally seated on the second airplane, and we're kind of getting ready to go, and some pilot, one of the four, I would imagine, all right, comes on the intercom, and he apologizes. He says, we're really, very really sorry for the confusion. I, I can't find my note. I wrote it down, all right, because he worded it, he, but he basically said something like, you know, we're very, very sorry for the confusion about, about that other airplane, but the higher-ups decided it was going someplace else, so we're on this airplane, all right? And I'm thinking... Wait a minute. Hmm. That's very different than there's a burned out light bulb or the computer crashed. Right. And I'm, then I'm thinking, ooh, a second crew arrived. Uh, you know, our airplane was late. It was having mechanical problems. And by the way, this the one we ended up on arrived in plenty of time for us to have made our original schedule. So my hypothesis is that um, you're right. You talk about the back room and being good. All right. And I and I, it got screwed up, but they. My hypothesis is they really did a good job of trying to do the right thing, even though it all crashed and burned, you know, poor choice of words. But um, is that uh, so the back office said their airplane's going to be late. We want to keep things in the system working because there's a bunch of connections. So we're going to scramble this other airplane into the gate next to them, and they're supposed to board that airplane. But that message never got to the um, yeah. To the uh, ticket agents, all right? So they just had us wait around and get on the proper airplane when it arrived, all right? But now by this time, the replacement crew to take the broken airplane wherever they were going to take it arrives. Now we've got two crews, and everybody's going, what the heck is going on here? And suddenly suddenly someone says, no, wait a minute. You aren't supposed to be on this airplane. You're supposed to be on that airplane, all right? And so they invented this whole story, and somebody (laughs) called ahead and said, take the bags off that airplane. They're not supposed to be on that airplane. Anyways, I think they put us on the wrong airplane. I think they were supposed to put us on the second airplane all along. I think that, that, that sounds about right. That sounds That's like what hypothesis. the ultimate, yeah, yeah. That's and my with, hypothesis. The, 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 the real kicker here is the two crews. Yeah, I'm, and I'm 90% sure a second crew appeared partway through the whole process. Um, because it was They may have just been hit dead heading to, to, uh, to uh, Chicago. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe. But they wouldn't, yeah, they I mean, wouldn't have been. Southwest they wouldn't have been has got a major operation there at Love Field. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't Love have, they wouldn't have been on the intercom though. The the the, the deadheading crew they would have just been in, back. In oh, the that's cabin. true. They would have been back. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if, if I there's, thought maybe it, the other guys were going to run out of duty day, but apparently they didn't do that either. Yeah. If yeah. there's you know, if there's six plus eight stripes uh, uh, milling around the cockpit, something's askew. Yeah. So it was it was odd, many many different ways, and um, you know, 
I actually like Southwest. Uh, someone I was, so I was twittering a couple of these elements, these things as it was going on, and someone said, "What are?" And I mentioned how they got us off the airplane for mechanical reasons, and they moved us another one. And uh, and someone on Twitter said, "Oh, tell us what airline that is, so I won't go with them anymore." And, and I didn't name the airline <laughs> at the time because I said, you know, at the time we're still going on the theory that there really is a mechanical problem here. And my my response at the time is basically what my response is still going to be, which is that, you know, I'm glad they made the difficult decision. I'm glad they they risked pissing us all off to get us off of an airplane that was doubtful and onto an airplane that they were more confident yeah. of you know so i like southwest that's that my that's my airline of choice these days and uh, it, it's still considered one of the top companies in the united states to work for yeah so I, I like Southwest. They're nice people. They're fun people. Um, for the most part, they get me there on time. Um, I, you know, and and but this little snafu, you know, was kind of like these things happen. I guess sometimes. Okay, air, uh, general aviation. Generally, oh yeah, that's why we're here. General aviation. We got to do at least one item from the list here before we completely run out of our allotted time. Um, Let's Forgive us, now. folks. We have, we just haven't chatted with each other. I know it's been two weeks. Yeah. Off field landing of the week. We got two. We got two off field landings.